Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. Today we are talking about trapping, trapping in Arizona specifically. You know, trapping can be somewhat of a controversial topic uh, in today's society. And, you know, the just the, the, the mention of it conjures up different images to different folks, some of them kind of unpleasant. But I'll tell you what, I bet it is not exactly what folks, some folks might consider when they think about trapping. So, you know, whether you're an avid trapper and you just want to stick around and pick up some some tips and tactics or you've never done it and, and, you know, maybe you don't have a complete understanding of it, especially here in Arizona, I think it might not look exactly what what you expect. So please stick around, give it a listen. We're going to talk about all kinds of things from regulations and tactics, the animals, the habitat, you know, the processing, all of that stuff. Uh, It's an interesting one. But before we get to that, I've got a few announcements for you. Lots of fun stuff coming up here in Arizona. Right off the bat, we have the fourth annual Dove Hunt and Cook-Off with Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. That's down in Yuma, coming up on September 2nd. Uh, These are two separate events, so you'll have to register separately. The hunt is a max of 20 people, so please don't wait there. It's going to start at 5.15 a.m. If you're new to wing shooting, this is an opportunity to get out there and hunt with some some fellows that that are, are really, really good wing shooters and you know if, if you're experienced this is an opportunity just to get out and have some fun with some fun guys let's see the cook-off um, that's a whole other deal uh, it's an opportunity for you to go out and show off your skills um, and you know take take your doves to the next level beyond your your regular old poppers uh, even though I've admittedly love poppers there is a ton of different things you can do with dub and but i'll tell you what uh just a warning if you if you are svp for this event you better bring your a game because uh there are some spectacular dishes served up at this it's an opportunity for you to show off an opportunity for you to win a bunch of great prizes and an opportunity to have some fun so don't miss that following that cook off and the hunt we are going to have a pint night as well so stick around for that all right, next up, we've got the seventh annual Family Squirrel Camp. I've talked about this one a lot here before. This is one I came up with with my family, and that's been going on seven years now. I can't believe that. And now it's a joint venture between Arizona Wildlife Federation and Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and it is my favorite event of the year. Everyone is welcome, whether that be kids or adults whether that be new hunters or seasoned hunters. Everyone is welcome, and we have a great time that's going to be friday september 29th through sunday october 1st Uh, we were going to hold this kind of at the base of mormon mountain up near flagstaff i'll get more details and a link out to where you can register for that event as well so stay tuned and then finally from the arizona society we have their wild in the city event on october 7th this is all about youth and getting them active in the outdoors and inspiring them to care about wildlife and conservation they need volunteers for this event and if you have children or youth that you want uh, to, to be exposed to outdoors uh, in a safe and simple environment, this is the program for you. So uh, look for links for all of this in the show notes and enjoy this show on Trapping in Arizona. I hope you learn a lot. Um, let's start with some introductions. Uh, Val, how about you? Hi, my name is Val Neese, and I'm representing the Arizona Trappers Association. Jim? And uh, I'm Jim Ball, and I'm the president of the Arizona Trappers Association. Um, just, we just got voted in a couple months ago, so we're we're happy to be here. Outstanding. Well, if folks haven't figured it out already for themselves, we're here to talk about trapping today. And, um, I got lots of questions cause well, I'm, I'm not a trapper. Um, I never have been. I, uh, I had a few rabbit box traps I built when I was a kid, but that is the extent of my, uh, my knowledge here. So I got lots of questions for you guys, but I w- want to start mostly with, um, with your organization, uh, organization, the Arizona Trappers Association. If you could tell me a little bit about that and the kind of work you guys do, I'd appreciate it. And either of you are welcome to just jump right in. 
I've been I've been a member of the association for probably fifteen or sixteen years, and um, it basically just I started kind of similar to you as just a just a just a trapper, you know, trapping gophers. That was my first animal, and and uh, an old rancher trapped gophers, and and as an outdoorsman and stuff like that as a kid, you know, I, um, I enjoyed. I enjoyed that a lot, um, but uh, later on in the years, then I got into fur trapping and you know being involved in the association, um, and it, it's found out it's kind of a it was a really good group of guys and gals that cared about the environment and liked harvesting fur and you know population management stuff like that. Starting to get into the 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 thicker stuff of the as- association, right? Um, so, and that's, that's kind of how I, I got into this and, and then, um, eventually became, you know, an officer, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I really do want to see stuff happen for the group and get kids involved because, um, problems with my, and it came about because problems with my kids, they were just always in front of a screen. Right. And I'm sure everyone can agree with that, that between iPads and iPhones and, you know they're great devices, but kids these days they they don't even want to go outside anymore. <laughs> so um, my job is to kind of I I want to really help the youth get used to the outdoors and and specifically trapping. You know is one way to do that, and so that's what I man I, I struggle with the the same stuff, and you know I like to think that you know my my kids are both durable little outdoorsy children. But they, they really, you know, they gravitate towards the screens. We all do, you know, it's hard for me not to like want to watch a movie at the end of the evening, but, um, but yeah, it's a constant fight and I think I've done a pretty good job at it, but still, still it's a struggle for me, you know? Um, and you know, I mean, why shouldn't it be? It's, it's, it's entertainment that grabs all of our attention. Why should kids, kids be any different? Uh, with that said though, you know, I do force them outside all the time. And it is still a struggle. And, and, you know, one area that I, I've really had an issue is like, I, I fought off the video game thing for a lot of years, no video games. Yes. But then it gets to the point where it's like, they become little weirdos in their own circles at school because all the kids are talking about Minecraft and stuff. And then my kids don't know anything about it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so I don't want to handicap them like that. So they do have Minecraft now, but it's, it's a limited, limited thing they get to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. <laughs> so Val, how about you? How did you get involved with the association? Yeah. So my story is a little bit different. I grew up hunting and fishing, um, love the outdoors, <laughs> camping and hiking, um, outdoor enthusiast. Um, after I got married and had my three little girls, we decided to move out of the city into something a little bit more rural. And we wanted the things like you guys both did. I wanted to make sure the girls weren't on screens as often. And I thought the best way to accomplish that was to put them hands on with animals. We love animals, have a ton of mini donkeys, horses, chickens, turtles, I mean, pigs, goats, you name it, we have it, four dogs, it's all there at the house. It's our little ranch. But what I didn't realize was even though I tried to predator-proof most most of the things on my property, these little bobcats are pretty sneaky and they were killing my animals and attacking some of my livestock. So that was the first time growing up, never hearing about trapping, then hearing that this might be something that I could get into as far as you know, targeting this this nuisance animal that's coming in and destroying some of my livestock. I lived, I live in an area that I can't shoot within a quarter mile of homes and my neighbors are way too close and probably wouldn't appreciate that mm-hmm. happening. So that's when I started learning and reading and reaching out to different people trying to figure this out. So I did, I bought my cage trap, set my first one, um, and it took me over a month to cage that cat, but I, I got it. And that's where that excitement grew. I wanted to really start to learn. And so I didn't realize that we had an Arizona Trappers Association and what that association was about. So the association itself, it really wants to put itself out there and educate. So that's one of our big shields is that education piece and making sure that we're reaching out to some of those um, underrepresented groups. Mm -hmm. So women, 
kids, people of color, different ethnic backgrounds, bring them in to teach them and give them the hands-on education, learning, as far as how we ethically manage these populations, how we used to do back in the day versus what we do now, making sure that it's legal, safe, ethical, and that we're a part of this whole conservation process. So I am still a bit of a novice. Jim has been doing this way longer than me, but learning and getting involved is definitely where the Arizona Trappers Association is at. Outstanding. Um, I, I like that you speak to getting other ethnic groups involved. You know, I, I like to say that the outdoors, hunting, angling, trapping, it doesn't belong to old white guys. Um, it belongs to everyone. The outdoors, public lands belong to everyone. And if we want to, if we want to see these things into the future and we want to continue to have public lands and wildlife held in the public trust, we need everybody involved. We need all stakeholders at the table. Um, but you didn't mention uh, how, how things have changed. And what, something I was thinking about <clears throat> just the other day, I think a lot about grizzly bears in Arizona. Is I, I live at the base of Sickreeves Mountain, and there used to be grizzly bears on that mountain. And, oh, man. I mean, speaking for myself, because I'm sure it would be upsetting to a lot of people, I would love to see that again. And I know we're, we're <laughs> yeah. a long way away from that, but uh, if ever. But, um, but they talked about, there's various stories of the last grizzly killed in Arizona. You know, I think one of them's down in Oak Creek Canyon. There's another one up on, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm spacing the name of the mountain over in the White Mountains. That's uh, embarrassing. It'll come to me as soon as I'm done here. But, um, and that last bear was killed by a rifle trap where they set up a trip line and a rifle. And I was uh, thinking, boy, that's, that's rough. Can you imagine, you know, walking around in the woods with traps set like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so yeah, just a thought on how things have changed there. But um, yeah. let's move on if we can to just some of the basics. I mean, there's a lot I want to talk about, but just some of the basics. Uh, like let's maybe start with regulations. Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, and to start with a little bit, back up a little bit in, in 1995. So, uh, is when the last law was passed where we were um, foothold traps were outlawed on public land okay. along with snares, um, cable restraints. So mm-hmm. that was in 95. Um, before that, uh, talking with some of the old timers, it was pretty loose restrictions on that, um, even like the type of traps and stuff like that. Um, because the thing about Arizona, there are a lot of predators, a lot of fur bearers and of all sorts. Um, and so it was just a, a, a nice place to come and a lot of different trappers. But uh, so after the ruling in 95, um, a lot of trappers just hung up their steel. They just, uh, they didn't want to deal with it. You know, we were, we're still allowed to use leg holds um, on private land. Uh, so there's a lot of our members that still do that. That's how I started. I, I use leg holds on private land. Um, uh, cages are, are the most common thing. They're they're called confinement traps in the regulations, um, and that's they're uh, pretty loose restrictions because all it is is a gate that comes down. Animal target or non-target can be um, either harvested or let go, um, and so that seems to be the norm all across the West here too. With 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 all the anti-trapping, anti-hunting laws and stuff. Um, but there's, it, the thing about it, um, that the thing about trapping that it's, it's, it, a lot of people don't know is it's legal and it's, it's highly regulated. That's why we have game and fish. And so um, the, a lot of people don't know the rules and regulations like we do. And so they, they just assume that trapping is just inhumane. Um, Take a leg hole, for instance, um, all the things, and I don't have one in front of me, but uh, the jaws, there's a, there's a gap between the two jaws. They don't meet. We're required to have a 3 gap so that when an animal is just held, uh, blood flows along the side, almost no fur damage, no leg damage at all, no broken bones. It just holds the animal. We're required to have swivels on, the, on where the chain touches the trap. And then within a foot, there's also springs. So when that animal's like pulling to get away, um, it, it 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 lessens the blow. So it's it's all for the protection of the animal. Then you can decide to 
to to release it or or what or whatnot. Um, so there's there's all sorts of these things that um, make make trapping very humane thing. You know, either if you're doing ADC work, animal damage control, or if you're just a hobby trapper like most people, um, all these kind of regulations, and then we have to check our traps. Every 24 hours, you, you, we 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 all agree that um, getting there as quickly as possible and I'm um, taking care of that animal, that fur bear is is very important. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know. And it's those kind of things that like the, what we go through uh, in our trappers ed classes that the knowing the rules and then getting proper mentorship really does does help. Okay. Um, well, before we move farther with regulations, there's a, a couple. <laughs> Remind me that that you said trappers ed classes. I want to go back to that, and I'll forget for sure. Yeah. But you also mentioned um, these changes in regulations, and I'm curious for my own personal interest. Where did these regulations come from? Was it a legislative push? Was it an uh, animal activist led movement? Did do you guys know where they came from? Actually, I, if I had to get, I don't know specifically, but I don't think so far it hasn't been, um, you know, the animal activists or anything. I think just standard regulations, because that's what's kind of taken from other states and stuff. You know, I guess back in the day when, when an animal's caught with a, with a trap that had a, uh, teeth on it or jaws, you know, which is totally inhumane and we don't use that. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of molded over time with between other states and it's kind of a common now, a common practice. So now manufacturers kind of gear their um, making of these types of traps to those regulations of all the different states. Okay. All right. Well, and I'll add on too. So if we look back in Arizona's history, just with hunting wise, I can remember my my uncle and my granddad, you'd go out there and you didn't have a draw. You didn't have a season necessarily. You could go out and harvest and do what you want. There weren't those regulations even for hunting. I think as Game and Fish and some of the better wildlife management practices have evolved, so as our practices. So we looked at, you know, the animal populations. We look at bobcats or we look at fox or coyotes or whatever that population is. Population studies help to drive some of what we're doing as far as any sort of harvesting of any species. Um, And I think, too, the regulations, when Jim had mentioned we lost the rights of using those footholds on public lands, I think there was some conflict between individuals that probably brought up those conversations and led to some of those changes. And I think that still continues to happen with some of these different groups, even here in Arizona. You know, every time we review animal studies population with game and fish, they're driving that hand as far as wanting to stop trapping or or limit hunting or different things. And that's where we come in and try to support why we want to continue to do this. Right. Yeah. You know, I want to get into, you know, the, the, the nuances behind trapping, public perception, it, for a lack of better way to put it, being kind of the low hanging fruit for animal rights activists. I want to get into all that stuff, but let's, let's talk about the fun stuff first. Um, cause that stuff is complicated. It is nuanced. Yeah, I mean, yeah um, for sure. And I'm going to stop myself cause if I keep going, we're just going to go right down into there, but, um, let's talk about some of, uh, so uh, to be specific here on private land, you still have like a, a whole swath of available traps, leg hold snares kind of fair game. I mean, I know there's still regulations around what we can use, but, but your traditional traps that people think about are all available to us on public lands. All right. On private lands, sorry. On, on private land, right. uh, snares are not, but okay. but mainly leg leg holds. Interesting. On private land, yeah. Okay. Um, so snares you can't even use for rabbits or anything like that. No, no, okay. nope. Um, I mean, we do. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of a conibear. We can mm-hmm. have a like a six and a half. You know, is the max size conibear really to catch like a skunk right. or something. So, and that's a dry land set. That's, um, there's what, 101, 202, 303, is that how conibears are? 330s, yeah, oh, 110s, okay, 330s, it. yep, and those those are big, big. All right, yep. and we're limited on the size of conibear we can use in Arizona? Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, a 110 is the, is the smallest, is 
the largest we could use, okay. which is, like I said, it's about a six inch. Gotcha. That way a dog can't get it. There's no way a dog can get right. its head in there or anything sure. like that. Yeah. So we're talking um, squirrels and rabbits and, you know, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I have a dog that I love the way I love my children, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I would, I, I think I've seen that dog a time or I two. Think you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a constant presence. He's always with me. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I, I get it. But again, that falls, falls into that whole nuanced area that that's difficult to, to figure out. And, but all right. Yeah. So we can use small conibears, bears, one ten con bears, um, leg holds on private land. But other than that, public land, it's just cage traps. No. Yeah. Public land. Yeah. Just, okay. just cage traps. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that, that limits you though, doesn't it? Huh? As a, as a recreational trapper. It does limit. It does limit. And then on top of it, you're familiar with your hunting units for trapping. There's those management units. And in those management units, you could hunt in them, but I can't trap in them. So it's really important to know those areas that you can legally trap. Interesting. How how are those laid out? This is all new to me. The, the, The M units? Yeah. Yeah. The M is, I believe stands for metropolitan, I believe. So, so like, you know, Phoenix to the outer, uh, to its kind of suburbs and out. So you just kind of <clears throat> keep it from the, the main populated areas, um, um, which as we grow, you know, animal, we're, we're invading the animals territory. So sure. animals and humans are always in conflict in the, in, especially on those, those edges okay. of, of those types of units. Okay. So. All right. So looking out at the tools available to us, we have leg holds on, on private. Um, we have conibears, bears, one ten con bears on private and cage traps on public with the, with this set of tools, what, what, you know, diversity of species are you pursuing? So I like um, to describe this similar to my background. So my background being a healthcare nursing, nursing, in healthcare, we're very specific, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want a neurologist trying to birth a baby, and I don't want an OBGYN trying to perform brain surgery on me. Mm-hmm. I grew up <laughs> as an intensive care nurse and now working in education and rheumatology. I'm very specialized, and I'm very specialized when I trap. So I really enjoy trapping bobcats. And so I target myself on bobcats, but I occasionally catch other species mm-hmm. like fox. I had a run on skunks last year. Um, and then every once in a while, maybe a coyote will get in my cage. Um, so some, and then other guys will have non-target animals that venture into their space, but that's what I focus on. Gotcha. What do you like to chase, Jim? Yeah. Well, um, I chase everything, but especially with these cages, I'm kind of with Valerie and, uh, I, I catch quite a few bobcats. Um, but I, I'm, I'm considered a long liner, I guess you would say, um, a lot of people don't get out many as many traps or, or run the distance that I do okay. because I'm, I just, I, I love trapping. So, um, but I catch, I've caught every species you can catch in a trap just about, you know? Um, so I, I, I mainly target bobcats, but of course I'll, you know, I'll catch uh, gray Fox ringtails, badgers. Uh, I caught a coat Monday once. Um, so all those types of animals, I, I love seeing them. Uh, doesn't mean I have to harvest them, but I'll take my pictures, um, and I'll, I'll keep fifteen or so, give gray fox, and and let the other thirty go. You know mm-hmm. the things like that. Um, of course, especially um, a lot of people target bobcats because we just got a real healthy population in in Arizona. Yeah. Um, especially by game and fish standards and, and just by how many I catch a season, we got a really good population, mm-hmm. but a cat is, um, is different than any type of canine. They, they only have two or three kittens. Um, you got to be real careful when you, when you by how many you harvest. So mm-hmm. we, we, as, as educators, we train our trappers, our members that things of things like that to be very, understandable like how many you harvest out of a certain reason region definitely let all the kittens go you know that's just logical mm-hmm. um and then and then most of the females try to let them go so they can have a uh, you know continual breeding on that but um i like seeing them all so i i chase them all doesn't mean i harvest them but yeah that's what's good about a cage trap i can 
I can let what I want go and it runs off and sure. it, it just, it, it, it makes it, uh, fun yeah well uh i've already talked to val about this but i I harvested my first bobcat just this last last winter um oh cool yeah you know i've had opportunities adam but they were always like the edge of urban areas um and i was concerned about eating an animal full of rodenticides so i've always passed on them um but yeah i took one in the heart of some beautiful merns country you know in a remote wilderness area and uh And I turned that bobcat into tamales, which I served to our state legislature at our camel at the Capitol oh. event. And I, I served over, oh, 50, cool. awesome. yeah, over 50 tamales to folks in suits. Um, and not one person, <laughs> not one person turned their nose up at it. So I was, I was, no, I was oh, no. yeah. you know, bobcat, bobcat backstraps is just delicious. Mm-hmm. We have guys that make that kind of stuff. And I'd like to, I'd like to do that for like our, our next you know, I like got a banquet, you know, when we have our banquet next summer, just get some, get some of that stuff. Uh, I, we need to find someone that can prepare it. I, I'm no good at that. Oh. <laughs> I can catch them. It's pretty easy, but, pretty easy. But uh, I, uh, I like to think the most of, you know, uh, preparing, you know, wild game that anyone will enjoy. It really comes down to care in the field which is going to be a little bit more difficult with trapping, especially when you're talking about lethal traps like conibers. bears. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a cage trap, you, know, you have complete control over that animal from start to finish right mm-hmm. there. Um, and, you know, I don't even, yep. I don't even go bird hunting without a cooler of ice in the back of my truck. You know, I, I take exquisite care of my meat in the field and, and, uh, you know, the, the results show. Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. Well, you mentioned, you've mentioned education a couple times. How do you, how do you educate newcomers coming into the, the trapping arena? Well, I think one of the first things, at least my background, I had no background in trapping. And so I started with the Game and Fish. They have an online program. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a fine program. You know, you get through all the education, you do a test at the end. It was all virtual um, is that, and that was okay, is it mandatory? but I was really lacking the hands-on. And so that's where I think the Arizona Trappers Association has really taken um, the reins on this situation as far as wanting to participate in that education. So we have now a hands-on course. So we do the didactics along with the hands-on, including our members that are active trappers that can do one-on-one conversations and presentations inside of these courses. So currently we've completed two courses, one in Yuma, one here in Phoenix. We have another one coming up in Phoenix. We're going to have one in Tucson, I believe, and maybe another one in Yuma. So we're trying to make sure that we're rotating around the state to really hit some of the different populations. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the way to go. It plugs you in and gets you a trapping buddy on top of it. That's great. Yeah. I I try to tell folks that are new to hunting that the best way to, uh, to get into hunting is get involved with the conservation organization and get to know those. It is. I mean, you can sit in the classroom all day long, but as soon as the rubber meets the road and you have to skin that first animal and, and prepare it or release that animal, if we're not harvesting, I mean, it feels a lot different than what you learned online or just reading a book. So what, what are the regulate, what license do you have to have in order to trap in Arizona? Do you just need a hunting license? Is there a special trapping license? Yes. Yes. So, so, um, you have, it's mandatory. Before becoming a trapper, you have to take a trapper's ed class okay. just just once, um, and then you get your your ID number. But yes, you then you can turn in and to the, you have to go to a game and fish office, um, and you can get your trapping license. It's thirty dollars, um, and then you have you're giving a, a trapper ID number four digits, mm-hmm. and that's your number for the rest of your life. Even if you trap or not trap, um, that that's your number. Um, but you also have to have a hunting license. Okay. So hunting and a trapping license in order to trap. Gotcha. Uh, in, in Arizona. All right. Hey, let's go back to, uh, available species. Um, you talked about bobcats, you talked about ringtails. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned quatamundis. Are, are they available to a yeah. trapper? Yep. Awesome. Yep. Co- coyotes, coyotes and bobcats. I yep. think are like go to the people think about, what about in Arizona? Yep. What about muskrats and beaver? Um, both of those. Now we have both of those animals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they neither of them are harvestable species. Okay. And and in my opinion, that's that's a good thing um, because they're just the population is so low. You know, obviously Arizona doesn't have a lot of water, right. so you get muskrats and beaver along Colorado River and different tributaries. But um, I, I I was one of the few that was I was able to harvest a couple beavers, but it, I had to go through game and fish channels. Okay, was it like a, uh, it was a nuisance per- situation? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. And so I got to harvest four of those. Awesome. Well, can... And I'll add mm-hmm. on too with Akuta Mundi, it's not considered a fur bearing species. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So it's there's a Akuta Mundi season, mm-hmm. but a legal method of take is trapping. So they're kind of mm-hmm. over overlapping there. Right. Yeah, I, I told this story on another podcast, so I'm not going to get into detail. But I I, I, I took a, a Akuta Mundi last uh, two years ago, I guess. Um, on a slow javelina hunt down in a border unit and strapped him to my pack. Oh. And, and I was, I wanted to eat him. I've always wanted to try a Um, yeah. And, um, I lost him that day. And we, I mean, it was, it was, oh. it was like a 10 mile day and I've, I've felt terrible about it ever, <laughs> ever oh. since. So I, I haven't, I haven't attempted to take another one yet. I might someday, but I just felt terrible. Was, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Such a unique animal well, and to just waste it like, well, that's a thing. Um, yeah, a, a, a Cody, um, Arizona is the only state you can get one right. in legally. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's other, other, you know, even presidents of other associations and other states, they're, they're wanting to come and, and harvest one before, you know, hopefully they don't, they don't take them, you know, they yeah. don't delist them or take that opportunity away from us. But um, as a trapper, I will tell, tell you this, that I talked to a lot of members and a lot of people that catch them like a lot of them you know in their cages mm-hmm. and it's totally different than 15 or 20 years ago where they were just down on the southern border yeah you know they're they're all over globe there i've seen a troop of 30 in the white mountains and I, they're, they're you know i'm i'm trying to catch the the one over here on camp verde hill you know i'm just just trying to uh they're all over the place now so that's a good good sign yeah well kind of, <laughs> i guess depends, i guess you could you say there's a lot of critters moving north with with you know north. warming temperatures so um so yeah, yeah. It's, it's neat to see stuff but you know the repercussions might not be worth it we'll see that, well, and, and that's I, true and i think too michael you bring up a good point you know trapping isn't just about harvesting fur it's a lot of sometimes just seeing these animals up close and personal um taking a mm-hmm. picture sometimes trapping releasing relocating mm-hmm the different game and fish studies that we've been involved in. So there's a lot of different aspects as far as people's whys and why they continue to trap too. Yeah. How about raccoons? Are raccoons available to us here in Arizona? Yes, sir. They are. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks and raccoons were a big part of life back there. (laughs) But I I didn't realize how mean they were until I got one in a cage trap. They, I didn't realize they growled like they did. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I get it. We don't have a lot of, you know, aquatic ecosystems, so it makes sense that beavers and muskrats would be off limits, but, you know, as intrigued as I am, uh, by the, by trapping, you know, between, you know, just hunting and angling, I, I don't have any extra time. And of course, family and work, but, uh, yeah. beavers and muskrats are the two things that would probably put me over the edge. Um, Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd like to eat both of them, you know. And a beaver is just such a neat, yeah. giant animal. Uh, I'd, I'd love. Oh, to yeah. try one, but oh well, I guess not here. <laughs> um, all right. So, I guess we've talked a bit about, uh, you know, you, you need your license. Um, so, did you? Do you I'm forgive me if, if you told me this. I'm already spacing it, but you have to take the education course in order to get your license. So just like a hundred. As long as you're born after the year of 1959. If you're born after the year of 1959, it's mandatory as far as taking a trapper's education course first. If you're born before 1959, it's not mandatory, but highly recommended. Okay. So then, then somebody, you know, who's interested in this and and wants to get started, a great place for them to to get started would be to hook up with you guys. Um, Absolutely. Take your course, uh, buddy up, you know, make some friends. And get out there and, and start right from the ground up. Yeah, and we would rather that happen because there's a lot of times, um, and and you might even be wanting to lead into this, but where we don't want anything bad to happen because that seems what, what always hurts trapping is some guy, some kid, or 
person, they want to get into it. That's mm -hmm. really, that's really great. They'll grab a trap off their, their uncle's shed or garage and it's illegal trap. And then it's middle of August when it's not even trapping season. So they go out and set the trap, you know, and then catches someone's yeah. dog and uh, someone's dog or something. And so we would rather, I would rather, you know, good public education, uh, youth education, things like that. Um, look us up on, you know, Arizona Trappers Association. They can contact me, uh, Valerie. You know, there's there's several mm -hmm. phone numbers where they can and we can direct them in the right direction. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would imagine there is a great deal of responsibility with trapping, even more so. I mean, both hunting and trapping require a great deal of responsibility. Um, you know, they're, they're both potentially lethal activities. Um, but when hunting, you know, you're, you're in immediate control of all situations with trapping, there's a bit more nuance there. And I realize that as a good trapper, a good naturalist, you can minimize risk of, of taking non-target animals. But yeah. I would assume that there is still that risk there. And, and even with cage traps and hot temperatures and things like that, you know, you can have problems. And if you trap someone's dog or trap someone's cat, there, there's a lot of, a lot of responsibility involved with that. Um, and a lot of bad yeah. can come from it, I'm sure. So, so I commend you guys yeah. for trying to educate folks to do it right and get out there and, and not make mistakes. Yep. I agree. All right. So we've already talked about the types of traps we can use. What other kinds of equipment do folks need in order to get involved in this? Valerie, you want to go? I so for, for me, um, at least when I'm out trapping, what it looks like for me is I have a trapping bag. Mm -hmm. I have my supplies as far as baits, lures, urine, you know, attractive uh, devices as far as little danglers that I might decorate my trap with. Um, I use Onyx. Mm -hmm. I'm a big supporter of Onyx. So making sure that I'm in those legal areas. I make sure that I'm always carrying at least a couple of sidearms for my protection in, in case I have to use it as far as taking an animal. Um, so that's usually what I'm carrying with myself as far as regulation wise. Now, if according to regulations, if you're on private land and you're trapping, then you also have to carry with you a pole choke device. So that would be in addition to that, but using cage traps, that's not something that we have to carry. So I, I'm not regulated to necessarily do necessarily doing that on public land with cage traps. Okay. Well, clarify a couple points you made for listeners. When you talk about dangly things to decorate your traps, I'm assuming you're referring to a cat as a cat as a cat and they all like toys and sparkly yes. things. Yes. All right. Yes, <laughs> they do. So you're, you're spot on, so to say. So um, I will tell if I'm going to trap, I'm going to trap like a girl and Mercer and Jim will probably <laughs> laugh at this, but, um, you know, I used to just take a piece of fur and I would dangle it in the back of my trap and it kind of catches that cat's eye. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I found out real quick that tampons work just as good. So why not use some tampons? So it has a paracord, we'll call it a paracord and a piece of cotton. And I can put some bait and scent on it and maybe put something as far as sparkly and a little fur on it decorate it my kids and I, I we call it arts and crafts time so we make a bunch of our little danglers and we get them ready yep. for trapping season so <laughs> once those cats pull them down in the trap and they pee on them well that that little cotton ball is pretty absorbent and I hang it right back up and oh, those cats yeah. seem to go kind of crazy over it so wow. trapping like a girl over here <laughs> right how about you yeah, Jim and, I, and I'll I'll pass on that that <laughs> one I I do make a, I do make my own a uh, little furry object mm -hmm. and sometimes people will glue like little eyes on them and I can just reach in, hang it on the back of the cage. And, but it, any visual attractant that, that when I teach in, in, on my demos and stuff like that, um, a piece of fur, uh, Christmas tinsel, uh, CDs and anything mm -hmm. to catch the, the, the animal's eye, um, particularly a cat, of course, uh, like you said, they're, they're just attracted to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so do cats so, enter cages pretty easily? I've heard coyotes are tough to get to go in a cage. Yeah. So cats, um, the cage itself is just a draw for a cat. Even if you put nothing in it, you just, you just stuck this rank rectangular thing out into the wilderness and it's never seen that before. Right. So, um, the cage itself is, is just an attractant. Um, but bobcats are very curious and you know, curiosity always gets the cat sure. and 
Um, of course, the other animals we catch as well. But uh, most of the time when I'm checking my cages and the gates up or down, um, I would say 70% of the time it's a bobcat okay. for me. Yeah, it's um, anybody that's owned a domestic cat knows their uh, desire to get oh, in yeah. boxes. Yep, and that, that's how I learned to trap bobcats was watching. I have two male house cats, and I just watch them, mm-hmm. how they act, how they react to stimuli, just just watching them walk down the hall. You know, a cat's going to always hug the wall, mm-hmm. where my dogs, they're going to just run right down the middle and um, stuff like that, that you can transfer into the wilderness to help you target that particular animal. Right. Right. When I think too, with those traps that we're using, it's a guillotine style door. So they slide down. So if those cats are going in and they hit that foot pan, you know, release device, that guillotine style door, it starts to come down. And if it hits that cat in the back, those cats usually will drive forward. Whereas if it's canine, they usually push back. So that's why it's a little bit harder for us to catch any sort of coyote in a, in a cage trap. Right. So for, for folks interested in trapping coyotes i mean are, are there tips and tricks that, that can make you more successful i mean if, if you're limited to cages I, I imagine it's pretty tough um yeah that, and that's a tough one because cages and coyotes they just coyotes are just too smart too wily mm-hmm. um i i catch two coyotes about every year in cages and so i consider those the dumb ones mm-hmm. and they need to be removed from the gene pool mm-hmm. so but i wish there was a way um, but I've talked to many a trapper and, and you'll keep, you know, they'll catch maybe one for every hundred animals they catch total, but it just, it's just too hard. It's just too confined. Mm-hmm. Coyotes don't like to be funneled or confined into a place like that. Okay. So when, when you harvest a few animals and you bring them home, do you immediately go into skinning them? Do they just go in the freezer until you're ready yes. to skin them or what, what's your process there? Yeah, and I'm probably the same as Valerie. Um, but yeah, as soon as I run my line and whatever I have, you know, uh, first of all, we, we teach and I tell people, um, okay, we harvest this animal. We're going to treat it with respect. That means even after I've dispatched it uh, humanely, I, I put it in the back of the truck. I don't just throw it in there. They're with the mud and stuff. I, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we're saving the fur, but if even if you were going to, you know, eat parts of it. You you want to treat it with with some respect. Sure. Um, it gave its life. So, but yeah, I'll put that in the truck, and then I'll come home and I immediately um, skin it. Um, say it's say it's a bobcat. I'll, I'll skin it um, pretty quickly. I'll wash it. Uh, I this is how I do mine. Not everyone does it the same, but I'll wash it, get all the blood, dirt out. Uh, actually, normally for cats, there's no blood, and I'll put it in the freezer. And then I'll put it up on a board later, mm-hmm. but, the, but then I, I want to go ahead and harvest the things out of the cat. You know, we, we, we don't just harvest the pelt. We use the skulls, you know, we, we use the feet cause it's good in, in the craft, uh, industry. Um, I, and then for making our own lures, we'll of course use the cat's urine, the bladder. I, I take the kidneys out and of course the cat glands on the legs and behind the ears mm-hmm. and stuff. So, Try to, I teach people, try to use as much as the animal as possible. It just, that, I think that's more of an ethical sure. way of harvesting. Well, I, I can tell you after eating one bobcat, I, I will never, I will never throw one away because it really was delicious. Oh, it, was, it was fantastic <laughs> quality protein. Well, yeah. and, and even in our house, we cut it up and make it into dog jerky, dog food, the carcass itself. We throw it out and the chickens peck the rest of everything off of it. So, Outstanding. I mean, if it's just too much meat for one person, mm-hmm. then we share. We share around yeah, the house right. and even the neighbors. Well, maybe you guys can help me at this point because um, going back to equipment, I don't have, uh, you know, I, I don't have a, a board to flesh on. I don't have a fleshing knife. Um I, I, I don't have a board to stretch on. Um, so, uh, you know, I talked about that cat I took. Well, I just recently fleshed that. It's been in my freezer for, for over okay. a year now. <laughs> um, but I took it out. Uh, I fleshed it with a butter knife on my on my kitchen counter, oh, man. which was not easy. <laughs> not You are oh, the like, man. Not, oh, I man. know. It was... Um, <laughs> 
it, it was difficult to get all of that membrane and all, all of that flesh off of that hide. Yeah. But I did. I got there. It just took a long time and so a couple blisters. But um, and then since I didn't have a, a board to stretch it on, um, I just salted it real good with kosher salt. And right now it's rolled up all salty and dried hard as a rock in my shed. So first question okay. is, is that OK? And my second question is, what do I do next? Yeah, so okay. I, I'll give you a personal story here. Last season, I had harvested a couple skunks, and mm -hmm. I really wanted to get them tanned uh, along with a gray fox. And so I had done the same thing. Everything was frozen. One, I had salted. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't dry it. I just salted it and put it back kind of in the freezer, and I shipped them out. There was an issue with USPS, and they thought my package contained marijuana. So it never left Phoenix, and it was over the weekend, oh, and no. my pelts ended up rotting. The only one that survived was the one that was salted. So as long as you use non-iodinized salt, that iodined salt may cause color changes to fur itself. Non-iodinized usually won't have that same absorption as far as color and you won't have to worry about okay. it. But most good tanners will able will be able to start to soak it and then process it as far as their tanning. So you should be okay. okay. Yeah, you should be what good. Do you think? Yeah, oh. I agree. I think you'll be good. Uh, as long as you did a good fleshing job, you know, that way it, it doesn't have a chance to rot, right. it, then you'll be fine, especially salted like that. It could be like that for a year or two, um, but you recommend to get it in, you know, get into the tannery if you're going to get it tanned and make a garment out of it or something. Yeah, no, it'll go on a bookshelf sure. or something. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything yeah, special. Yeah, wall like, hanger. To try to sell it, yeah. I did a, a gray fox once. Um and I, I trapped it on private property with a con of bear. Uh, and I did have a nuisance wildlife uh, trapper's license. I don't know if that was the exact title of it. but okay. um, And that one, I, I did the same way. Sent it off to a commercial tannery. And it did come back with a pretty, pretty large area of slipped hair. And I don't know if that was oh. a mistake I made or if it was a mistake that happened at the tannery. But like I said, I... I, I go to great lengths to take care of things and do things correctly. But um, yeah, I don't know how yeah. that happened, but that was, that was, a, it still looks good, but yeah. you know, it, yeah, it happens. Yeah. All right. So do you guys, does it, does, does everything that you trap, does it get shipped off to a tannery or do you sell them as just raw hides? Um, well, most, most people sell at a fur auction. Okay. So this is for the garment industry. Um, not everyone, but but that seems to be the majority mm -hmm. is um, hobby trappers. They they we're not in here to, to make any money. You will not make any money trapping. It's right. it's your it's your hobby that you pay for, like most other hobbies, and, and it's fun. And but at the end of the trapping season, ours is in March. Um, people from all around, trappers, members, non-members, they come and bring their fur, and then we, the fur buyers. Uh, they come down and they grade fur and and um, and pay you for it. Okay. Um, it's and so that's what most of it. But then and then there's many that they'll if they don't like the price, then they'll send it off to the tannery and they and then of course the craft the craft end of this is 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 becoming bigger and bigger. So wall hangers, even with coyotes and cats and raccoons, um, they'll send it off the tannery. They'll sell it at pr private markets. Uh, different outdoorsman shows, things like that, um, along with the claws, the skulls, porcupine quills, you know, you, you name it. Every part of an animal can be used in some, some fashion, but um, we really do promote our, our fur auction. It's a good time to get together and, you know, we do demos and have the USDA speak. We have uh, April Howard, our game and fish predator um, biologist. Mm -hmm. She always talks um, about the bobcat collaring program and it's just a really good time to get together and, and uh, discuss our cause right well I uh, like I said I'm, I'm not taking it so far as to uh, I'm, I'm never gonna have enough animals to, to make it worth trying to sell but <laughs> I like to I like to have skulls around the house and, and things like that oh yeah yep. you mentioned porcupine quills and and you know, along with <laughs> along with beavers, unfortunately, porcupines are not available to us. And where I live, we do have porcupines. Yeah. I see them relatively often. I hear they're absolutely delicious. Um, but yeah, oh really? 
Yeah, they're off the table here in Arizona. I, I don't know why. Yeah. I've heard rumors of back whenever they were logging heavily for profit um, in northern Arizona, that mm. porcupines were, were shot on site because they were damaging to the resource. I don't know. Um, Maybe we took that a little too far. Um, but they seem to be doing be. pretty well up here now. I see them often. But. Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, I see them here. They're, they're hit on the side of the road and stuff yep. like that. And, but quite a few, yeah. quite a few. We, uh, uh, my family and I ran into a badger the other day too, and I was oh, cool. very surprised at how brazen he was. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He was in the middle of the road, uh, ran across and, and then I saw he ran up to, to his hole. I could see the mound of dirt where he stopped. So I got out and honestly, I was really thinking I was doing the guy a favor. I was going to get out and harass him so he wouldn't be so brazen around other people, you know? Um, yeah. and uh, I get out. I walked up to, you know, five yards of him and he had his butt in the hole, yep. but he wasn't going away. He just sat there and yeah, stared yep. me down. So, yeah, that's that's badgers for you, for sure. When we <laughs> catch them in cages, uh, most of the time I let them loose. But you got to be careful because you, you, you'll let them out and they'll kind of stay. So you go behind the cage and kind of try to scare them out of the cage. But the, they their 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 biting end yeah. is always aimed towards you until they feel safe and then they'll scurry but they don't back down yeah <laughs> yeah all, all of the uh, mustelids are just just amazing animals and they all have big bold personalities oh. um yeah you know and, and a close close relative there you talked about skunks earlier um, I'm throwing way too many of my personal opinions in here, but <laughs> another thing that's always bugged me, I've always, you know, I, I raised a possum, um, you know, back in Missouri. Uh, he lived with me for two years. He was a giant adult male possum and he was more of a roommate than a pet, but skunks, <laughs> s- <laughs> pet skunks just seem to be the sweetest animals. It's like they never evolved yeah. aggression because they didn't have to, you know, they always had that ability to, that. to spray. So they make great pets. But some yeah. somebody somewhere along the line decided you can't have a pet skunk in Arizona, and that's yeah, yeah, exactly. You you'd have to find a pay off a uh, you know uh, an animal doctor mm-hmm. to uh, descent the skunk, and and it's but it's not 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 legal. I don't no, think. No, it's not. Like unfortunately, said, and there, there's a domestic skunk, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> culture out there. There's albinos. There's leucistic. Um, and people keep them and, and breed them, but yeah, not here in Arizona, which is a real heartbreaker because of all, yeah, all the animals. Because I, I heard they're great, great pets, yeah. just just like your house cat, just mm-hmm. great pets. Um, unfortunately, we're, we're not able. To I, I'm willing to bet they would be better than our cat puddles. Our cat puddles is kind of <laughs> kind of a jerk, but uh, yeah, yeah, I wish you could. Of all the animals, my kids try to get talk me into letting them have. That's one I'd probably say yes to. But yeah, yep. <laughs> Well, all right. So, yeah, we, we've talked about it a little bit, um, but uh, I, I guess, how do you go into this? Trapping, like I, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit um, and it, regarding animal rights activism and, and things that it's going to be easier to hurt trapping than it is to hurt deer hunting. So, you know... I, I try to keep an open mind to everyone. Um, you guys love animals. I love animals. Animal yeah. rights activists love animals. It's something we all have in common. Um, Absolutely. Not going to be easy to convince a lot of folks, though, that the trapping is an okay thing to do. Um, but if we're going to have this thing, you know, the, the heritage of trapping, let's say, into the foreseeable future, I don't... I guess there's two ways to look at this. There's one is, you know, get angry, fight back in an ugly way. Um, and, and I don't feel like you're going to win anybody over that way. No, so no, no, what is the trapping um, and, and we'll call it trapping and conservation community doing to kind of police themselves in the public perception and, and educate people in a way that this is going to be an acceptable thing, you know, that we get to keep doing. So I, I think maybe I'll start, Jim. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we go back to that education piece, you mm-hmm. know, not everybody traps to kill. We trap to relocate. You know, I can't tell you how many people have contacted me 
um, and they want to come out. And it's people that don't want animals killed. They just want these bobcats that are killing their ducks or their chickens, similar to me, get them out of here. I don't want it hurt, but relocate it. So that's where we can go in and educate and talk a little bit more as far as just educating John Q. Public. Now, that's that's one kind of small piece of the puzzle. And I think it's, it's still, like you said, probably low-hanging fruit because I can only educate so many people a year right. that are calling and knocking on my door for this. Um, you know, making sure that when I put trapping out there, I, I like social media. I like posting funny memes and pictures of my family, but also making sure I have that information going out to my friends and some of my colleagues that I work with about why I do what I do. You know, we look at some of the zoos, you have otters that are in the zoo that don't reproduce naturally in zoos. Mm -hmm. The only way we get them is trapping. When we talk about different things like beavers um, in different states, some of these beavers we've done studies on and these beavers have completely disappeared in areas and so changing that that mindset of people as far as why did the beavers disappear was it because of trapping like they thought well let's look into this similar to what we're doing in Arizona with the bobcat collar study when they did this specific study that I'm talking about I believe it was um, about six years ago back east they looked at this specific area no beavers they ended up training the Trappers Association in this state trained some of their state um, game and fish agents, went out there to a nuisance um, area that had beavers, trapped, taught them how to trap. This gal went out there, trapped 10 beavers, relocated them to this area that didn't have them, and they had tracking devices and, and similar things. They ended up all getting killed. And it wasn't by trappers. It wasn't by hunters. It was by mountain lions. Mm -hmm. So it really brings it back full circle to those people and that mindset as far as, look, it's not trapping. It's not hunting. It's other things going on. So educating those that are fighting against it to really opening our eyes as far as what's going on. Um, yeah. I can tell you in the state of Arizona, when our biologist reports to Game of Fish and some of our groups, it's not hunting and trapping of bobcats that, you know, are the most amount of, you know, fatalities of the bobcat population. It's mountain lions here. And then we go down the, down the track as far as vehicular, you know, train, whatever those circumstances are, even natural causes. And so it's nice to be able to see that data improve without, you know, with, with actual science that this is actually healthy for the bobcat population and Jim had mentioned you know at least for Arizona our bobcat population 62 to 65,000 somewhere in that in that range not even surveying on like Indian reservation land where we can't get in there that's remained stable for the last 15 to 20 years since they've been doing these studies but I really think <clears throat> and that's something I think the Trappers Association is really trying to figure out along with some of our other groups, building those partnerships with like with your group, Michael, um, and some of the other deer groups and, and people out there as far as kind of chopping the head off the snake before it can really make some of those initiatives and hurt. Because if they get rid of trapping, the next thing that's on the, the chopping block could be deer or antelope or something else. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. might be low hanging fruit, but it's gonna have a snowball effect sure. to all of us. So building a coalition um, and really fighting together as outdoors men and women is going to be huge, I think, for the state of Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with with what Valerie said. Um, and coming into this, um, the association and the things that I wanted to do was, um, of course, educate our youth and, but, public education, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I know we can only reach certain amount of people, but luckily we do have social media as, as a good tool sometimes um, to, to educate the public on how we do and why we do what we do. Um, the coalition things, I just started right off, right off out of the gate um, doing, for instance, the, the dog release clinic I did for the, the quail forever group. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, they asked me to do that and do, do, we had conna bears and cable restraints stuff that wasn't even legal in Arizona, but it, we want to care about their dogs. You know, if they're, if they're in another state and it gets stuck in a cable restraint, this is how you release it. You know, just, just joining with these groups and, and helping them out, um, is, is kind of joining together and, and that'll help strengthen us. We, you're right. we, we're probably going to be the first ones attacked, you mm -hmm. know, and it's not if it'll happen, it's when we're, when it's going to happen. 
And so uh, becoming stronger and but by, by being um, associated and partnering with some of these other outdoor groups is a, is a major part to help combat that. Cause we don't want to, we don't just want to fight, you know, fight them very aggressively. We, we use data, we use facts. Um, unfortunately, the, if I would say the antis um, against this, they, they use more of emotion, you know, sure. Yo, yeah. look at that poor wolf in that trap and stuff like that. You know, let, let, let's go, let's cut that out and go, go straight with facts mm-hmm. and data. And so that's why we do the bobcat study. They call her mountain lions. Um, they seem to uh, attack the cats of Arizona when it comes around. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, cats but, are, are very charismatic. You know, we have them in our homes. Yeah. Uh, people get very emotional about them. And it's a funny, you know. Yeah. The, the whole slippery slope thing. It's a real thing. You know, slippery slopes, they're real. Um, with that said... The fact that, and I'm sure given the opportunity, you know, most trappers would, would like to still have snares. They would like to still have leg holds on public lands, but taking those out of the equation, I can't help but think that the trapping community in Arizona is in a pretty powerful place. I mean, there's not a lot of great arguments against, you know, the ethics of a cage trap. I mean, I'm sure there's folks that are going to make those, but I would think that's not, not going to be an easy thing to do away with. I hope anyway, you know, I, I hope this is something we have forever, but, um, well, yeah. yeah, I think Jim and you have used the the word a couple times. These are tools, whether it's a cage trap or it's a foothold or it's a kind of, you know, whatever the trap is, it's a tool. And those are the same tools that we're using when we catch an animal and release it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So changing that perception again, as far as, you know, public perception, these are the same tools that we are continuing to use, whether it's for harvest or for release. Yeah. It's just a tool. Yeah. And yeah. as silly as it is, you know, the same folks that are going to, are going to push against the trapping of bobcats, the trapping of coyotes. They're probably not even going to notice the trapping of rock squirrels with the one ten kind of bear, you know? So, no. <laughs> and, and you know, on, on a logical scale, that's ridiculous because life is life is life. But, um, but yeah, folks get, they get excited about the, the things, the cats, the predators, things like that. Um, and it's unfortunate, you know, I, I'll have these talks with, with friends of mine regarding, you know, bear hunting. Um, cause everybody loves bears, right? Um, I do too. They're, they're fascinating animals and they're, they're amazing animal to pursue. And they're one of the most delicious meats running around in the woods and, and bears yeah. are doing better under our North American model now than they were a hundred years ago. Um, yeah, we have a lot of bears, uh, and, and we hunt them, we utilize them as a resource every single year. Yep. Um, and the same thing could be said yep. for trapping as well. Yep. Renewable resource. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, not everybody sees it that way. Um, and I know, uh, no, and I get it. I, I, but I think the there's, there's that, there's that public piece too. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least here in uh, Scottsdale, you had people that were getting attacked, little kids, animals from coyotes. I mean, you yeah. see it all over the news and it's, it's a really tough, a tough place to be because again, without that management of animals, it's just cruel. It is absolutely cruel not to manage those animals because not only do these animals end up with diseases themselves and become unhealthy, but then when it starts to affect our kids getting attacked, um, people getting attacked, mm-hmm. it's just, it's not right. I mean, we look at it with Yellowstone, right? Yellowstone, they have wolves there that you can't manage, you know, you can't hunt, you can't do anything. What's that done to the elk population there? Well, it's completely desecrated it to the point that now the wolves are becoming unhealthy. They're cracking their teeth, they're getting infection, their jaws are breaking because they're eating things that they shouldn't be like bones and whatnot. Then they bring in elk from other places, bring them in, trying to repopulate the elk population there and really it should be looking at how can we how can we control the wolf population and maintain a healthier wolf population with that mm-hmm. well yep. well guys what what have we left out i mean i, I i'm <laughs> i i um, i'm not the one to have led this conversation even though i did um but so so <laughs> what, what did we leave out what else do folks need to know that are interested in this I would say come and see. Okay. If you have any interest, come and see. Let us show you what this is about. Come to, you know, we have a a cage demo event coming up this Saturday. We will be having more education classes, even if you don't plan to trap, but just want to come and see and learn more. 
you can come and take the class with us. Contact Jim and some of the other guys yeah. on the board. You know, see if you can, you know, follow somebody and and have a mentor and maybe run a line with somebody, you know, check some traps. Yeah. And maybe it's a guy like you, Michael, that, you know, goes out and you shoot your first bobcat and you're not sure on how to flesh or how to board. Yeah. You know, so bring call. it on over. We'll help you yeah. and walk you through and board it and and work through it. Awesome. I wish I, I wish I wish we'd have done this a little earlier. <laughs> I think I think it'll turn out okay just the same. Well, listen, guys, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, thank you for, you know, thinking Absolutely. about the way you approach us. Thank you for thinking about public perception um, and, yep. and management of wildlife and conservation. Uh, I think it's important. And, you know, trappings is one of those things. You're always going to be under scrutiny by someone, but uh, you're, yep. you're doing it right. And I think... Uh, keep having those conversations, keep educating folks. And uh, yeah, we should be able to do this for for a long time. Cool. Thank you so much, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Michael, for having us. Thanks, guys. I'll get some information in the show notes regarding your organization and how folks can get hold of you as well. Okay. That's awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, I hope that cleared up uh, maybe some misconceptions about what what trapping is and, and how it works. Uh, and, you know, if you were an experienced trapper coming in this, I hope you learned something. Uh, and I hope it got you got you inspired to get out in the field this fall. I know uh, I'm I'm ex- I'm inspired to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to be doing any trapping myself, but I'm I'm inspired to get out, uh, trap around, do some scouting, get ready for hunting season. I always have trouble transitioning. From the fly rod to the gun because um, i'm having such a good time catching fish and then i got you know a little little bit of a little bit of fall is already showing up in the air in the mornings uh, up here at elevation and uh you know it helps uh it starts to get me thinking like that but i always have trouble transitioning but uh it's a good problem to have and i'm looking forward to some some great hunts this year with that uh don't don't forget that the Arizona Wildlife Federation makes this show possible. The Arizona Wildlife Federation is 100 years old this year. That's 100 years of doing conservation in Arizona. You are welcome to support the Arizona Wildlife Federation, and you can find out how to do that by clicking the link in the show notes. Visit our website, uh, scroll around, learn a bit more about our organization, and decide if you'd like to support the work that we do. Um, I certainly would appreciate that. Let's see, then finally, okay, how about this? Just don't ever hesitate to reach out to me. You can reach out to me at podcast at azwildlife.org. I would love to have your your suggestions on shows. Um, I would love to have your critiques and criticisms. And uh, yeah, I'm always open just to chit-chat about hunting and angling or anything outdoors in Arizona. So, So again, don't hesitate to do that. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again here in a couple weeks.